Welcome to this episode of Head in a Box. I'm your host, Murphy. I'm joined by my lovely wife and co-host, Kellen Watson. Our guest today is an awesome human, a very talented individual, an award-winning cinematographer and documentary filmmaker. Um, some of his projects have been at Sundance, at South by Southwest. Um, he has a production company called Contended, which we'll get into. Uh, Asheville native, Adam Hobbs. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. <laughs> All right. We did it. We're here. We're already having a good time. We're already having a good time. Uh, Adam, I'm so glad you're here, man. Me too. It's uh, really nice to talk with you guys. Uh, lots of respect for what you guys do, so be a fun fun conversation. I want to start in really quick. I just want to praise some things. Uh, Finders Keepers is a documentary that you... What's your title on that? Cinematographer? Were you director? Were you creator? Uh, so, actual uh, actual title was cinematographer. Um, most, if not all, the projects that I do, I think that I take that role plus, uh, hopefully, a creative contributor to the project. I think that like I work so, and this is a lot of people say this, but work so closely with a director and the rest of the crew that I feel like it kind of consumes me to where I don't feel like I just play one role because I enjoy it so much. Right. But <clears throat> titles, credits, in 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 credits is cinematographer. It's so. great. Your work's beautiful. Um I, I really like your work. Uh between Finders Keepers and then I haven't watched uh Gay Chorus Deep South yet, but I watched the trailer. Um I cried. She, Kellen I cried. cried. It was she, really good. She cries. Um, <laughs> on the tra- on the trailer? On the trailer. Or? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I was like, this is yeah. good. We this have to watch is, this, this Murph. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, and I, I mean, I guess that's the role of a documentary, but I, I feel like you have a real good talent of really finding the heart of the individual. You really find the story. I know that sounds very general simple, but but it's uh not it's simple. not easy to do um and uh, the finders keepers in particular the, the the gentleman who turns the junk into art like god damn that's such a fun story um what's your process so you're a cinematographer i know that you don't do a ton of narrative because we've talked about it and we're going to do some narratives together uh mm-hmm. but how do you seek out your projects? Do they find you? Do you find them? What, what's your process? This is a this is a great question. Yeah, I just yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I I feel like I'll have to give a couple different answers. Please. Here. Um, first off, um, you know, in the life stage currently that I'm at, I think I'm taking on less projects than I would normally, or or have been in the past. Um, I've always jockeyed between being. A freelance individual, uh, sometimes freelance plus a full time job, and then diving these all these ones are are, are these example projects that you're giving, um, which which are my faves, uh, which would be <clears throat> just for clarity, Finders Keepers in 2015 was a feature, um, Gay Chorus Deep South 2019, and then most recently was Chasing Butterflies actually, which was like a short. So those, uh, interestingly, I think I find my projects because I think I have an ear and a passion for the gray space of the South. I think that that is something that has both found me and also, uh, you know, I've never vocalized this actually before. But you know how people are like, you just got to 
practice, practice, practice. You got to just, you know, mm-hmm. figure out what you want to do and you'll find your voice. Funny enough for me, I don't think I ever denied that I wanted to do stuff in the South. But I think I just get really interested in the discovery of like characters on their face that some people perceive as a certain thing, but actually are something else entirely. Mm-hmm. So I like playing into tropes. I like, you know, people thinking that it's a dumb redneck or thinking that this is just a group of, you know, um, you know, pardon the term, but gay folks from San Francisco, they're going to go save the South. I, I, I like all of those things that set up a story in a way that people are like, I don't know if I'm going to like this or, mm-hmm. you know, this is a, these are just a bunch of dumb rednecks. The, that really, that really encourages me to push it. So I think uh, to answer your question, maybe a little directly is that um, I think a lot of these things find me where they become so naggingly obvious that I'm like, man, I just have to do this. So it's the it's the projects that kind of keep coming back around. They're not like a thing where, sure, we've all done ones where you're like, hey, can you help this individual, whatever? Let's go off and make this make this film. But the ones that I get hooked on are the ones that I'm like, okay, I'm 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 in. And I think that uh, the volume of projects that I've done, given I think the length of my career, is actually quite low. But I would say that the level of involvement and the the amount that I love these projects and the success of them knock on wood has actually been pretty high for me and I and I like that ratio mm-hmm. I wasn't planning to do that you know yeah so. and, and there's really no end date when you're doing documentaries right I mean it's hard to write I mean like <laughs> no. you, you have a narrative you're shooting for three months you got a shoot schedule you stay pretty close to it you know yeah. weather and illness aside you're going to stick to those dates but a documentary yeah. I mean it's but it sounds like to me it's just discovery after discovery that leads you down paths you have to yeah. find out what's down. Yeah, and and for those that, like, don't know, it's like these are long roads. Yes. Like, you know, like, th- this isn't a good thing either. Like, the short film, <laughs> the Chasing Butterflies is a short film that I made with Josh Harding and Matt, Klu- Matt Klug and, like, amazing filmmakers in their own right we were like yeah let's just do something quick we're like over the pandemic we're like we just we need something to kind of feed our souls we have this character you know it took us a year like <laughs> does it need to take a year probably not but it's like by the time you're jockeying sort of your other responsibilities and stuff like that but i i like that pace i think i can given my life situation and and the other directors that are working on this we we could afford that pace and i just i don't know the process i've learned that you know going to these big film festivals is is very cool don't get me wrong but the making of the work is the most enjoyable and i think that's taken me a long time to kind of figure that out but it's almost like i kind of i think there's a part of me that's savoring that and possibly making it longer than it needs to be because of it you know Mm -hmm. so do you usually find yourself editing to these projects I, my background is in editing, um, not so much fully in documentary. So I think I have an ear for it. I think my experience is across a bunch of different things. We, The three that I mentioned, none of those I edited, which is a good thing. Yeah. I think I, I like that separation, that partnership, both with the director uh, and also the editor. So I, I would say that <clears throat> most of the time, I have a lot of separation in the editing, maybe minus some of the shorts that I've done, especially the features. That's very much a collaboration between uh, the director and the editors that were on those films. But I come in just for notes and then also, you know, full-fledged in the finishing process. Right. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with the separation. The funny thing about the documentary, I've directed mostly narratives. I've just started kind of dabbling into the documentary world, and the one short that I started working, I don't, I don't foresee an end date, but we're closing in on a year of shooting. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, and it, it's a it's a normal pace. There's been twists and turns, and different things yeah. have come up, but like, I mean, and you're crazy, and you decided to to add five other films that you're making it the same. There's, yeah, nothing, there's nothing crazy about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, That's completely you know, normal. Just, <laughs> Murphy's going the other way. He's like, how much volume? Like, volume. I, I'm just, we're all in it. Well, the, the, the odds are, if, if you try to shoot 12 projects right. and you make three, that's mm-hmm. still a good year. Yeah. That's true. Agreed. Agreed. That's the idea. That's it f- lights that's a fire under your ass. Mm-hmm. That's very true. But if I wouldn't have, anyway, it's not about me. <laughs> this is about Adam. <laughs> Sorry, um, I had to bring it back around. So, cool. So, your process. So, you, you, you basically, these things that you love the most, you, they kind of find you. You say it's it's so painfully obvious um, that you have to make it. So, you've mentioned some names. Some When you do these documentaries, do you have, like, a crew of people that you always like to work with? Or do you find yourself working with new people? Yeah. It's, it's mostly all... Um, there's t- a degree of new folks, but uh, there is this is the 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 documentary you know um, group of folks that are making stuff at a high level, which sometimes I'm a part of, not always. Uh, it is uh, is a small group. That's the thing you learn really quickly. You go to one of these festivals at Sundance. There's the who's who there. There's the producer in that like extends across many different things, but the true filmmakers the camera operators, the the folks that are making these films are, it is a small, small group, you know? And so they have an ear for everybody. They know what's going on. And so, you know, it's it's been really interesting though, because I think that that's been really helpful because it, it obviously, just like any other type of work, builds off of itself where you have that reputation, you know? Um, I was in a situation where I'd made Finders Keepers and was on <clears throat> for trying to make Gay Chorus Deep South, which started as actually, like a lot of this stuff, started as a short film for a brand, actually. My really, really good friend, direct, uh, the director, David Charles, also was in advertising, very, very talented individual, but pitched it as a feature. And under the pretense of, like, we should do this, who should we hire? Like, he was trying to get it off the ground from a story perspective, but then it became apparent that basically through roadblocks, through other people, through him knowing the story, that it was like, you should make this. Mm. So it became this really cool thing where the gr- the crew of people, us that were making the short film, suddenly became the crew of people that were making the feature film. And we basically got, this is a, this is a much longer story, but we initially started by getting funding for that film because it was a part of a brand uh, through Airbnb, that funding then actually went away. But we were in such a we were in such a like just passionate, you know, doing the story. It. Yeah, probably had shot twenty percent, and uh, essentially through other like sort of you know ways of going at it, it was like we should just keep going. So we did, and it was a long journey. Um, probably two years, uh, which I guess in the grand scheme is actually pretty fast for a feature documentary. But um, it was really interesting to see how that one kind of changed. And then the crew that came along, you know, there were folks that had never worked on anything before, such as my um, AC, Freddie Whitman, 
now Freddie is like an extremely accomplished cinematographer in his own right. So I think for me, it's for docs, it's actually more who is actually going to show up and try to work the hardest sometimes more than it is actually who has the greatest number of mm-hmm. like skills for a particular thing. Because you, you really, and this is why I think I like documentaries so much, you're, you're someone that sits outside of the typical production environment. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of a nightmare on like a real production set. Because I'm putting my hands in all these different things, and people are like, hold up, you know, like, that's my area, whatever. So Stay in your lane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I, I recognize the fact that I'm kind of like, it's not a good situation. It's like, he's like, you know, you're like, what is this Adam guy doing? Like, he knows about cinematography, <laughs> but he's t- talking to me about audio, and then he's like over here talking to the producer and the director about creative ideas. It's like, get out of here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but I, but I, I kind of like that. I think no matter what I would do, even if it was a narrative thing, I just, I really love that sort of ragtag, small collective group of people that are basically committing themselves to doing this project and they're going to finish, but it may not look like a traditional production sphere, you Mm -hmm. know? So far it's been a really fun ride. I feel like it only gets even better because you just start doing different things with these same, same folks, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm, I'm big on that. I mean, I don't know some of the some of the filmmakers that I respect most. You know, it's just a habit. It's like you work with the same people. It's like I I, I like trusting. I I know who I can work with. I know the actors I can trust. I know the crew members I can trust. I can, and it's just I'm down to open. I'm open to work with new people. I always bring in new people too. But like, yeah, there's a core of people who always. You just know what you're getting. Yeah. 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 Well, and there's a shorthand. It's not even like that. Yeah. Like Freddie, for example, who was my AC on the K Chorus thing. It was like. There were moments where he would see me like being like a brain fog and then would just mm-hmm. hand me the lens that I was thinking of asking him, but I can't think because I'm tired. And it was like, man, this is this is this is kind of beautiful. Well, it, it's interesting you were saying that like the process of it basically, like the shooting of the documentary and then having the space to kind of walk away from it and let someone else edit it. Like something for me as an actor too that I come up on a lot um i i really yeah it's fun to watch the final product as an actor and you know your mom watches it and everybody goes oh i saw it on netflix whatever that that's it that's really fun but for me it it is the shooting of it it's it's the being on set it's the live energy of it happening in the moment and then collaboration the collaboration and then once it's over and i'm wrapped and i'm done and i'm walking home then it's like I'm done, you know what I mean. Like, I'll, like I said, I'll watch it, but it's the it's the unknown of being in the moment of the shooting environment that I love, mm-hmm. um, and a documentary just kind of lends itself to that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I for for me that's one of the. I think I have a you know maybe not experienced enough and successful enough, but a director's mindset that holds a camera. Like, my heroes in the documentary world, you know, are folks that were camera operators, but they were directors at the same time. There was a certain level Mm -hmm. of presence with their characters, and they were able to kind of finagle and, you know, make this verite scene or whatever it may be more interesting because they're both thinking about the story and they're also shooting it at the same time, you know? So I think that I've been really it's been really nice because the directors I've worked with 
have at least encouraged that behavior, which is not always the case. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, it's, it's a little bit of like a loose leash, you know, like again, going back to David Charles, like we would talk about the direct, the, the, the direction that he would give often because we wouldn't know what we were going into. This is a documentary would be like the feeling that he was trying to convey. He would be mm-hmm. like, here's what's going on in this situation. Here's the tone that I want to portray in this. Make sure that how you're covering this scene is indicative of that. You know what I mean? Like, like for example, there's a lot of stress. These people are about to leave. They're about to go on tour. They're being told that, you know, the, the chorus will not be well received in the South. There's a fear. So how can you set up this scene to where maybe there's a feeling of, there's a tinge of fear with these folks as they're going through. So I really enjoyed that. You know what I mean? But oh, yeah. it wasn't a situation where it was like, I need this, 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 you know, do this shot, whatever. It's like, you're constantly thinking when you're, when you're shooting in a documentary is how to make everything usable. I think that's, that's one thing that still is, is a challenge for me is like, mm-hmm. you're not just being like, let me shoot, you know, a shot of Kellen and then a shot of Murphy. It's like, maybe there's a way for me to like, move from one of you to the other to where actually the editor can use all of that without having to cut yeah because there's a certain level of uh and this is a simple example but there's a certain level of like these little bits are cool but the way that they're put together makes it so much more powerful and sometimes like not having to cut in certain situations makes it which is always my goal is like Mm -hmm. is is amazing so i think uh You know, for me, the presence of the situation, having the camera on the shoulder, using that tool to actually um, capture that scene in such an honest, you know, frank way. And it's funny because I challenge myself on that every time because I think I get so excited at the beginning of a project about what I want it to be. You know, I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going (laughs) to use these lenses and we're going to shoot with this lighting setup and all this other stuff. And then, like, it slowly reveals itself that it's like, okay, those are, those are cool influences, Adam. I think you can take a certain percentage of that, but you know, the story kind of needs like 20% of what you said. And then the other 80% very quickly gets thrown out the window, you know, cause you're just like, that's you trying to put another layer of cool mm-hmm. on something. Right. Make you know? interesting, more interesting. Yeah. And that gets muddy. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Actors are the same way. You know, like, you got, like, like the example I always give, you got someone who's, like, you know, big, strong dude, right? And you put some lines in front of him, and he, he that actor inevitably wants to act intimidating. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, you're 6'5 and 350 pounds. Like, you could whisper and be more intimidating than whatever it is you're trying to do now. It's interesting on top of interesting, man. You mm-hmm. can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like, I always get the feeling this is from an actor's point of view. I don't know if you ever get this feeling, but like me personally, cinematographers to me are like aliens on set. <laughs> I, I just feel like I can talk to a director. I can shoot the shit with a showrunner, first ADs, like sound guys. Like I'm all over when a cinematographer, when the DP walks through, it might as well be like a king walking through and I'm a subject. Like, yeah. I give space and I don't want to make eye contact, you know? Like, I just feel like cinematographers are on a whole other level. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, I don't know if other actors feel like some of the best advice in all my years of acting, I've come from DPs. 
from yeah. cinematographers. Well, because they they they're they're you're you're trusting them with your image, but also, you know, uh, they know how you look. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and not to mention that they're like maybe this is venturing into directorial territory, like how you're performing too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's also so many different types. It's also fascinating. There's the there's the gearhead. You know. Also, for, well, first off, there one reason why I do feel like they have that, especially in your world of narrative, is they're leading these departments, you know, and 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 you know whether it's whether it's, you know, crewing up for rigging, lighting, you know, and the actual camera department, it's like they're honestly, you know, they're looking out for their crew. These are people in their career, especially in narrative, even in docs, where like you're kind of they're filtering some of what's being asked to be like you know, is this something my crew can do and will do? You know what I mean? Because maybe the ask is, like, so big. So it's like they're looking out for their team because that is a team that will be with them for a very long time. Same same with me. It's like I wouldn't be bringing, at this point, someone that had never worked with me before. I'd be bringing somebody that, like, you know, has had a certain level of experience given the project. And I want to make sure that whatever that we're doing is both a safe and also is something that kind of like we're known for, you know what I mean? So, and that's not to like put up a wall or anything like that, but it's like, I, I do think that there is an element of the DP that people forget this, not just this creative little mind that's over there in the corner making stuff. They are, they're over a large percentage of the, of the production, you know, leading it. And, they, know? and most of the time they make it seem easy feel like that's the misconception on set but like maybe someone who hasn't spent a lot of time on set that's why i feel like when i see a cinematographer or a dp i'm just like i don't want to fuck up their jam uh-huh. like i don't want to get into but the but when you like a couple times i have been on set where a dp or a cinematographer will say something to me like can i give you some advice and i'm always like yeah. Yes. What's it gonna be? Oh, please. Yeah, yeah. Like the 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 last show I was on, uh, the advice was given to a friend of mine, but he he was like coming out of the end of the scene too fast. It was like a turn, and he would zip out of the scene too fast. And the DP said to him, "You want to avoid ending up on the floor?" Yeah. And it took me a second to even realize what it meant to be on the floor. I was like, "Why is my buddy Mark getting on the floor?" Yeah. Oh, editing. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And he like he was just like hanging that shot a little bit longer. You have a better chance of staying getting that. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And that kind of advice when you hear that, and I just happened to be an earshot, and I was just like, "Oh, I'm so glad I got that." That's like nice. I, yeah, that's super nice. But generally, you don't the, uh, DPs and cinematographers aren't generally offering up free advice no no i not that they should i'm not expecting it right but it's also like when it does happen it's like like it made the whole shoot worth it i think i've failed at this but but uh and this is my own two cents no one's necessarily told me this but i'm a pretty friendly person i really like talking to people agreed i i i enjoy just in general talking to people i do find myself which maybe nets out to just kind of normal whatever, but I find myself creating purposefully distance between myself and the characters, meaning that nothing against what your example was, but I think if I have to be careful because if I become buddy-buddy with these characters that we're doing, then they're going to be looking to me some of the time versus the director. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure there is an element of, I think that's very important, especially in docs and maybe in narrative. No, I think you're right. You you need to know where your relationship is in the production. And there's that's, that's going against my own tendencies of just like, Hey, let's hang out. Let's do whatever. But 
is not going to help the story sometimes if I'm like, you know, reasoning with a person, you know, and sympathizing with their situation and the director is trying to get a certain thing out of them. That's going against, you know, things. So I think that's interesting in the way that I I have had to train myself to operate a little bit more in silence Mm -hmm. purposefully. That's not taught. That wasn't something that was taught to you. It was more of just the interrupting stuff. I think maybe it's maybe maybe for me it's I don't want to say ruining a scene, but you know, sitting sitting in conflict or sitting in silence, those are the things you do not want to mess up in a, in a documentary. You know what I mean? And it's very interesting when you work with certain directors where they're uh, none of the ones I'm mentioning that I've worked with do this, but like, you know, uh, they're in and out of a situation. Hey, let's go grab this. We're in, we're in and out. The, the talented ones are the ones that I find really interesting are, are almost going in for one reason and then finding out that they're in a certain situation and just sitting in it and seeing what can actually happen. Where it goes. The grab bag approach is very like, it, it makes sense because people, you know, it costs a lot of money to make films and all this other stuff, and you're in and out. And you Deadline try to do, and, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really challenging, but the the best thing you can do for yourself is is basically affording yourself time in order to try those things, same in a same in a narrative, and then and then also sitting in those moments and letting them play out. So I think for me, I've just kind of trained myself to be like, okay, it's time for me to take not a backseat, but like focus on what I'm here to do, which is to cover this scene really well for this person that is trying to suss out where this particular moment is going to go, you know? And some of those are like the most beautiful things ever where it feels almost like utter simplicity where it's the greatest scene of the movie, but all you did was just stand there and point the camera. You know, and you're just like, this is incredible. Oh, yeah. You know? Dude, it's the same thing with acting. I say to my students all the time, a bravest thing an actor can do is nothing. Actors want to rush through it. They always want to be doing something. And, like, sometimes when the camera's rolling and everybody's there and it, it's time to do the thing, just fucking sit mm-hmm. there in be the there. moment in mm-hmm. silence and mm-hmm. let things fucking happen. Yeah. You know, you can't force it. Yeah. Do you find that in music? Like what is it like in music? Like like finding breath in music, or like finding I mean, moments to sit in it, and not force it, or push <laughs> it, or for sure. I think that <clears throat> I think that that would apply a little bit more when I'm um, playing with like if I'm not the lead singer, uh, a lot more I, I, like when I'm adding harmonies or something like that. But like when it's my own stuff. And I'm like nervous or I'm like anxious about whatever it is. That's usually my go-to is to try to sit back in it and like just kind of like wait for the moment to come to me to feel like the song or whatever. I mean, it's just it's sort of similar, right? What about what about a set list though? I always wonder about people like the people that just write it down and play it. Or you feed it's off the different. crowd, and then you could be like, you know I what? Both. I do both. Okay. Because like, <clears throat> like for like for example, last night I was playing. I had two. We had two sets, and like I go in with a roadmap. Like, okay, these are the ten. I'm gonna do these ten songs first, and these ten songs in the second set. But then you get there and you start to observe your audience, and like that's always the thing, right? Like the audience is the third element too. 
a performance. So, and they're probably the most important element. So, yeah, sometimes I'll like call an audible and be like, uh, I don't think they're ready for this song about Jesus mm-hmm. or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, that Jesus song. Yeah. That Jesus, or like the song about, you know, death or something. Directing's the same way going in. Like, no director, you know, every, every director prepares and comes in with an idea, but it's part of the collaborative process, right? You're collaborating yeah. with an audience and a band and. We're collaborating with a crew and a set. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. like the collaborative process for me on stage is to the audience is very much a part of it. Mm -hmm. And like when I don't uh, include or uh, consider the audience as part of the whole thing, I feel like I like I walk away from the show not feeling like it was a very good show. Yeah, because you're not really you're excluding one of the collaborators at that Uh point. So. I don't know. I don't know if that really answered your question. I think it does. It does. We're all storytellers, so it's just like I'm always interested in, like, how these elements of what we do kind of crosses over between art forms, and they have Mm -hmm. to. And there's very few that, like, you know, I I always hear, like, writers. You know, someone's writing a novel. I feel like writers want to, like, lock themselves away don't disturb me, don't interrupt. I don't want any real input. Like, I'm doing my thing. Don't, you know, painters, mm-hmm. I think there's an element to painters like that too. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to shut the door in my studio and I'm just going to do my thing. Mm-hmm. But other than that, you know, like, but still, those paintings go up in a museum and then it's kind of a free for all what people are going to think or take away from it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's cool though. That's the audio in yeah. the cinema side. That's the audio. The preparation you do for the showcase of the work is the same as how you're playing for a crowd. All this stuff culminates to playing a film for an audience, right? Right. Which right. is also, I think, in, a, in its own way, like a lost art. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even film festivals because you go in already knowing too much. You know, um, about the film. Yeah, or it's already it's been overhyped. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the last time I went into a movie that the hype I wasn't like Blair Witch Project, the Man, original that's a long, side note. That's a long time, long since time ago. Which I hundred yeah. percent thought was a real <laughs> documentary. I, I went in by like, the way. right when it opened. I oh, didn't man. really know too much about it. It wasn't until the end because I didn't really connect the dots. But continuity <laughs> got too. fucked up at the end. <laughs> so I remember going into the movie like, "This is crazy! What? I'm terrified! This is wait." Who's holding the camera? Yeah. Ah, uh, this isn't real. Yeah. <laughs> that was a good one, though. I mean, how long ago was Blair Rich? 20, 20 years ago? More than that. More than that. That was. I was a senior in high school when that came out. Huh. Yeah, I was a senior in high school. My mother had to sit with me to fall asleep for a week after the movie. <laughs> like, I was a senior, and she had to sit in my room. I'm I fell not asleep. surprised. So we're talking about how you do these documentaries and it's a long process and it's kind of a long game. You put a lot into it. You wear a lot of hats. You're all over the project. So when you're done with the project, what do you do to like recharge and like fix yourself and make sure your mental health is in check and all the you recharge <laughs> refill your soul? Uh, I think I, I uh, you know, being transparent, I think I'm still learning that. I think I, mm-hmm. I think uh Given where I'm at in my career, I now have two, you know, married, have two kids, uh, six and three. I'm definitely spending, trying to, less time working where, wherever that work may be. 
and giving myself the opportunity to do that recharge. I mean, if I look back at some of the periods where I was shooting Gay Chorus Deep South and I was gone, I think when Nora, who's six now, when she was like four months old for, you know, I think our, you know, we had like two, three, 15 day time periods where we were gone. So Mm -hmm. I was gone a lot at the Mm -hmm. beginning of Mm -hmm. having kids. And I kind of just got on the hamster wheel of just kind of always working. And that's kind of always been my thing. Uh, Now where I'm at is I've, I've seen a little bit, the pandemic did a good job of letting me see the other side of like Mm -hmm. not working at all or, or never. (laughs) And, and, and being like, you know what? Uh, you know, maybe my ego is bruised, but I actually feel pretty great. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I think that um, both work, passion, and hobby would end up being the same thing with film, which was, like, not good for me. I mean, it felt awesome. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. it was like, yeah. Like, my whole life existence is, like, trying to push this, Doing you know, it. forward. Yeah. But um, I was, uh, it was just kind of like, exhausted between becoming a new parent and trying to be good at that uh you know doing this work stuff then the pandemic happened and so I'm kind of coming out the other end being like yes I still like all of this stuff uh and but I'm trying to incorporate and be healthier about other passions that I have work-life balance work-life balance and I and I think I've kind of frankly just learned that hard way mm-hmm. you know um i'm 50 i'm about to turn 51 i'm I, the pandemic did the same thing to me yeah. like i'm i'm a workaholic too it's it's like it's how i show love is i'm a doer i work i just that's what i do i had my yeah. first job when i was 13 like i work that's what yeah. i do you know so it's you would even do it in his sleep yeah i sleep work <laughs> it's literally no, <laughs> no when like, we first started got together <laughs> <laughs> Kellen woke up and I was sitting up in bed mm-hmm. folding blankets. I was cold. I woke up because I was cold because there was no blankets on me. And he was folding them. And I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. And he said, got to earn a dollar. That's awesome. <laughs> and I was when I first moved here and I was unemployed. So every yeah. day I was waking up looking yeah. for work. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I'm a worker. Obviously. No, no. I, 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 so I, I, I don't want to, I, I don't have any takeaways here because I'm still, I'm still very much going through it. Um, there where the phase that I'm in currently is, which is maybe a weird statement is like feeling like I'm letting some things go that normally I would never do. Mm-hmm. In other words, like whether that's creative, whether that's something associated, like I'm like, normally I'd be all up in it trying to think that, you know, again, I think some of this is ego is being like, Oh, I need to do this. I need to solve this, you know, whatever. And I think especially for where I'm at in my full-time gig is, like, learning to – and this is embarrassing, like, learning to delegate. I think I needed Mm. to do that on a film set. Don't be embarrassed, man. (laughs) I'm right with you. I I, I need to do that in my personal life, my work life, and these, like, passion projects is be a better person that can be like, here's what I'm trying to do and communicate that. I think, you know, for me, maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's not – able to communicate properly what yeah. I'm trying to do. Uh, so I, th- I think that's the side of it. But I will say that, um, you know, maybe being unsuccessful in work-life balance has opened up opportunities for me to just give myself a little bit of grace and also find out that maybe the world isn't, you know, 
my world isn't best if I'm just 100% doing film stuff all the time, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. hanging out with my family is pretty important, you know, yeah. that's a <laughs> that's a longer project than one of these feature films for sure, and, uh, you know, so I think that's important, and then just my health in general, like, you know, I've always ridden bicycles my whole life uh, mm-hmm. and taken too many risks, uh, mm-hmm. and today I'm sitting here with a broken collarbone and scapula, but, but but I really enjoy it, and it's been nice to move back to Asheville and rediscover and reappreciate, uh, you know, where I live currently, Black Mountain, which is outside of Asheville, and just be so thankful that I live in a place where I can still attempt mm-hmm. to balance these things between creative passions, you know, family, and so on, you right. know. And I think that it comes back to the Southeast, too, like being uh, artists working in the Southeast. It's like I love living in the mountains. I've said it over and over again. I just love living in the mountains and traveling to work. Totally. You know, I mean, my my work takes me to Charleston, Savannah, Mm -hmm. you know, not awful places to go. I mean, escaping the holler. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When I, when I grew up in Nashville, there was like five people that even talked about or did anything remotely to right. video production. I knew all of those people. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was just like, th- this is so fascinating, but the world was so small. Mm-hmm. I think at that time I thought of that as a negative. Hindsight 2020 is kind of good because it gave me such a, it was an open community to that sort of thing where I, I had no business being involved in some of this stuff. I didn't know anything. You know what I mean? And I think I would have been kind of shooed away if I had been in a, like a bigger market. But I think the level of passion of some of those um, individuals, you know, throwing out some names, Polly Chattel and and uh, Gr- Greg Hudgens. I got a fun Greg Hudgens Greg, story. Yeah, I love um, Greg. <laughs> but yeah, like those, in a, and I worked for Thomas Oliver, who did corporate uh, video stuff. That was my first gig, and so I, I got, I was just really thankful for that exposure, um, and I really do think it shaped a lot of who I am today because it was a requirement. You know, the the issue that I was presenting of me being on a more delineated sort of uh, professional set is because when I grew up here, I was required to know multiple trades; mm. otherwise, it just wouldn't work. It was only like so few people, right. you know, so it, 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 it tracks. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good crew. I mean, it's small. Um, sorry. The market in Nashville is obviously very small. Um, but the people that are here are, I don't know, respected. That's awesome. Very talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. You guys are in that crew. Wow. <laughs> so. Yes. Mm-hmm. I have yes. a question about funding. Mm. Okay. So if you were given like unlimited resources, all the person you got to pick your personnel, all those things to make a documentary, let's say a feature documentary of your dreams. Where would, how do you go about finding the funds to do that? Like, where would you go? What's your go to thing? Mm-hmm. Or is there many? That's a good question. I've been uh, both in situations where. You know, thinking way back where there was a Kickstarter, you know, situation. Right, right. Um, Ones where there's like development funds Mm -hmm. uh, being given. Um, Certainly also been in ones where there is no money at all until Mm -hmm. something is sold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then surprise, surprise, none of it really goes back to you still. 
Right. You know, right. uh, so you got to make sure you're passionate about this stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, especially now where, where, uh, there was a golden era of things just being sold for bonkers money, you know, mm-hmm. and now those days are over. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully they come back to some extent, but I think the, 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 maybe this is making it too complicated, but the self-funded, like I just, Chasing Butterflies is a short film. It's like 17, you know, minutes. We funded it um, for, don't kill me, Matt, but like less than 10K. Mm-hmm. The benefit, now this is a short, so maybe not the best example, but we self-funded it. Uh, we made some of that money back very, you know, smallly through some some people actually donating, but um we also had a situation where we went to these film festivals and we wholly owned this project and it was a blast. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been on the other side of it where you're trying to do the rodeo and I'm just a crew member, but you're doing the rodeo of jockeying like this person financed it. We got to make sure they're involved. Right. There's the stress level situation. Right, right. Like, Wired gun stuff. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, it's kind of, it kind of sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and maybe that's me. Maybe that's me being like, you know, a little bit of like trying to, you know, keep things too small or whatever. But I've learned to recognize the fact that sometimes having all the money is not a good thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. You know? And so yeah. it's like a catch. More money, more problems. It's like a catch 22. <laughs> you yep, know? Yep. Um, so I, so to answer your question, I think I would, I think I would go to, cause I have not, asked this yet i would go to friends and family if this was mm-hmm. something that i was like i am doing this and this right. is like a big deal to me yeah passion piece i i would go much more sort of like these are my people that trust me and maybe possibly don't expect a, a return, return. I mean, we would figure that out but that would be my first mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. um and then I think that, you know, now there's a lot more different, you know, a lot of different platforms that are essentially some version of that, even if it's your extended, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, w- I would do that, I think, because I think in documentaries, it's about getting it off the ground. Right. You're right. not necessarily trying to fund from A to Z. You're just trying to fund A to B. <laughs> right. Like, right. The next we, step. Yeah. yeah. How, can, how can we, so-and-so has a camera we can borrow, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, I think, you know, for, for those listening, it's like some of these projects that I've been on um, have actually had pretty substantial budgets like the Gay Chorus Project, but they did not start that way. Right. You know, right. it was very much just time and effort and situational in the way that we were very fortunate in the way that we had access to, you know, people and uh, equipment to where mm-hmm. we could just start it. And mm-hmm. it was the, the money aspect was our own personal time you know, that we put into it. So right, right. you need raw material too. Like right. it's the same, like in your old, you, you, we can talk all day how great Kellen Watson is on the mm-hmm. microphone, mm-hmm. but until you show me a demo, right. I'm not, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. You know? You're not so, invested. Right. So a lot of times, you know, and we did, we did not move forward with this, but like on the, um, Butch Anthony chasing butterflies thing, we were looking at funding for a little bit. So we cut something together that was just kind of like, not a narrative. It was just, here's what we have. Mm-hmm. Who who would be interested? Ultimately, we decided not to go down that route because of, you know, these people have requirements too. Like a few of them were brands where it was like, we'll use this in this capacity. And then you start kind of being like, well, you know, do do we want that? You know, they, they need something out of this too. 
uh, is it better that we just take this on, try to keep it as low as possible? You know, mm-hmm. yeah. this, this is a short, but I think the same with a feature is like you're, you're, uh, and this is a good note is like, it's always an iterative process on a documentary. You are, you are constantly sharing, you know, a scene or a deck that outlines your whole story that's happening from the beginning of the project all the way even in like through editing right where you're trying to get more people associated yeah, to it yeah. you know who can come on as an executive producer who can you know lift this project from kind of like nobody knows about it to being like right. a, a thing mm-hmm. so i think that um it doesn't there's more than names attached to it yeah, yeah. it doesn't That's always have to be that yeah. way cuz i respect people that go into the cave, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people in Nashville that do that very successfully. Yeah. You know, go into a two-year cave and come out with this, like, little piece of gold. Right. But uh, the majority of the folks that have have done this for many, many years, they have their process of just constantly building something. Figure it out as you you go. Yeah, that's interesting because it's kind of similar with making albums. Well, in the past, it's been, like, I don't really make cds anymore because nobody buys cds anymore what's a cd (laughs) but like that was kind of how i would go about it like i i always felt i'm just glad to hear that that's also that's a normal creative process for other art forms because i would feel guilty about like finding the funding as i went from a to b and the b to c and i would feel like man if i was if i was more organized i would have raised $30,000 from the start Mm -hmm. and like some artists do that actually and that's awesome for them but like I agree with you in that when you like it's almost sections because once you get the album done then you got to go and you got to find the people to help promote it and you got to set the tour up and there's just so many Mm -hmm. elements that go in it's a collaborative process truly well no no and I'm speaking more in the director's process like you have to get people on your train Yeah. yeah you can't just do that with no. like talking to people for hours no. individually. Right. You need like an artifact. Yeah. You know, how yeah. do you have this thing that lives beyond you and the project that other people, you know, you have a friend that is it so-and-so and you can pass it on to them. And then suddenly that opens up more conversations. There is like, it's essentially, I think, you know, when I was younger, I thought of it as like, Oh cool. You like make a treatment and people all get bought into it. And then you just go do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not really the way this works. Like mm-hmm. even on major Hollywood motion pictures, like yeah. maybe the director isn't doing this, but certainly somebody on the you know production company is updating everyone right. with like where they are, who the characters are, what scenes are there, maybe teasing out something to get people really excited about mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. you know, updating production for like, you know, we made this change, here's what's happening, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the same concept, just on my end, you know, lower down on the totem pole of like getting people involved. Right. And I think as a director, you, you, you need that because it's less time you trying to explain your project because right. something lives beyond just you talking about it. Right. 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 Right, right. Yeah. George Clooney gets excited about your short. Yeah. You, you don't have to really talk as much about yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, he, he could just give us some tequila or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, you know, yeah whatever. But, but something. What's been your favorite project you've worked on so far? Uh, just cause it was like, uh, I, I think finders keepers because it was so long and it was, uh, such a crazy beginning. Um, I shot something as a favor on that project when I lived in Charlotte in 2010 
And it, at that point, had been going on for about two years, and it went away. Like, I shot mm. I shot basically a piece of it and was like, this is so – same way I was saying earlier. It was so crazy. I was like, this is insane. Like, this story is bonkers. And, by the way, Finders Keepers is about a man that right. – Loses his leg in a in a plane crash. Another man finds it in a smoker grill, and a custody battle uh, ensues over who owns the leg, and that's <laughs> that's the beginning of the story. Amazing, not, not the whole story. So so I went and shot a small scene of the main character John. Uh, he wanted to be buried whole. He had his leg. This is before he lost it in the smoker grill. He had his leg and. He wanted to deflesh it. This is this is insane. So we took it. It was in a Gatorade bag on a motorcycle God. up to Ohio to a woman from a radio show that said that she would do it because she actually puts together animal things. I mean, she actually had a background for this. It was the scariest shit I've ever oh seen. Oh, my God. This woman's home was insane. It was a mini <laughs> pony. There were beetles. There were chickens. Her mother was stuffed in the window. And it was an old church. <laughs> oh, my God. Absolute bonkers of a weekend. I went up there with Matt Kluge, who now, this is, you know, now we did Chasing Butterflies year, many years later. But we went up there with uh, Ed, who was um, – uh, Ed Cunningham, who was an executive producer on that project, he um, is really awesome. But he had been sort of heard about this story and then kept in contact with John. And he was like, I need to shoot. This is this is raw material. We need to go do something. So same with what I was saying before. How can we do it? Oh, we know Matt knows this guy named Adam who works with him and he mm-hmm. has access to camera equipment. Let's go up there and do it. So I shot it over a weekend. Then it just fell away. Heard nothing. Mm-hmm. Then I lived in Korea uh, in 2013 <laughs> and I get this crazy email that's like, Hey Adam, we were looking at the footage from when you were shooting this thing with John. Um, you know, would you be willing to come to, you know, the States and shoot for like two weeks? We're going to actually restart this production. And I was like, this is insane. <laughs> and this was, this was cool because it was then me being like, okay, who am I going to hire from my friends from North right. Carolina to come do this? Um, it was also very, and kudos to, you know, uh, Brian Carberry and, uh, Clay Twill, the directors, because they could have very easily just hired someone from LA mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just flown in, right? but they wanted local people. So I think that is the favorite for me because that makes sense in the doc world, it's a respected documentary, but even more than that, for me, it showed me like, you know, here's some, here's a ragtag group of people from the South, but I feel like I had. I had a reason to tell that story. In other words, I know John was crazy, but I also knew that there was some humanity in there. And so I really enjoyed that because I loved showcasing the insanity of that story, but also the human part of it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I had an ear the whole time of just being like, we're not going to make this guy look dumb. Mm -hmm. No way. You know, like there's going to be a higher thing here. And so I think that was the challenge, but also the thing that, that myself and the rest of the people from North Carolina brought to that story. Um, so that, that's definitely a favorite one. And I think it kind of kickstarted the love for just docs. Cause I yeah. never, yeah. never, never thought I'd have that. And I, I think at the time I had a goal <clears throat> to make a feature before 30. And I think at that moment I was like 28, 29. Nice timing. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
Good job. Good job. Barely squeaked <laughs> it by. Squeaked a feature in before the Jesus years. Yeah. No, seriously. And then I and then we went to Sundance with it, and I was like, "What is this place?" Right. Like it was just like such a foreign place, you know, because it was so mythical. But then at the same time, you're just like, "Oh, we're just here to buy things." Yeah. <laughs> or people are here to just to buy stuff. Weird. Right. Super weird. Um. Would you like to do some rapid fire? I love rapid, I do some rapid fire. So it's like free association. I'll mm-hmm. just like say thing. I'm going to give you some this and that. I'm going to ask you just quick questions. You give me like a short answer. You know, doesn't have to be one word, but few words. Okay. So uh, it's time for rapid question. I'm going to start with the most controversial controversial oh, question okay. that I have almost asked every guest now. So prepare yourself. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate. Totally. Yeah, vanilla ice cream stuff. Okay, what's your favorite guilty pleasure? My guilty pleasure is singing Disney princess songs. Oh, yeah. Full volume. Generally by myself, but I'll do them in public as well. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. (laughs) Uh, First thing that came to mind, but then actually I think what it is. So I'm sorry, two-parter. This is not how this should go. One is uh, shower beer, shower oh, beer, and then it. and then and then the second one is just going going to go get coffee in quotes, but taking like <laughs> three hours. Oh, and yeah. Katie being like, "Where are you?" I had you a business I mean? meeting. Coffee. Yeah, 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 yeah. Coffee. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. Okay. I actually uh, had to go to South America to get it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, vacation or staycation. Definitely, va- definitely vacation. Right. Absolutely yeah. vacation. Yeah. Yeah. Get me uh, the fuck out of I my mean, house. I mean, staycation yeah. is cheaper, but why do you want to stay in Dodge? I okay. go we're, to the we're, beach. All, we're all we're all parents. Like staycation is meaningless. Uh, we yeah, we don't get that. Okay. Yeah. So stay hell is what it's <laughs> called. <laughs> night owl or morning bird? Oh man, thousand percent night owl. Which I knew is you'd to say my that. own detriment. Yes, yeah. same. Like yeah. now, I will say now that I've had kids, kids though, I've sort of shifted into morning bird. Like I, I just I can't function the same way I used to could at night. It sucks. Hundred percent. I would. I, I. So you might be like me, just angry bird, yeah, not angry. a morning bird. <laughs> angry bird. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. No. Yeah. And I think I'm. I'm a night owl. I've had to switch it to. Now I'm 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 a morning bird. I mean I'm up at five thirty every day. Yeah. Like That's ready, impressive. Ready weirdo. To party, weirdo. Making breakfast, packing lunches. I'm not yeah. a weirdo. I have children. <laughs> I mean I mean just I mean Ke- Kellen's idea of sleeping in is when one of the children is screaming, and she I just wait. said she just goes turns off. The oh, that's me. That's, <laughs> like that's what? Me. How do you do that? Okay, uh, passenger or driver. Oh, definitely driver. Driver, driver. absolutely driver. Control absolutely my destiny. Driver. Actually, I, like I, d- I don't passenger. even want any passengers in my fucking car. <laughs> I want to drive alone. Straight to Mexico. Don't ask me. No one asked me where I'm going. I'm going. <laughs> yeah, straight to fucking Mexico, man. Yeah. Fuck the fuck the land. I don't give yeah. a shit. <laughs> Some horizon. Some yeah. horizon. It'll keep going. I'll never reach it. Mm-hmm. Um, rich and famous or rich and unknown? Oh, definitely rich and unknown. Oh, yeah. I'm already rich and unknown. (laughs) Oh, wait. Uh, Just unknown. What was the last good film or web series that you saw? Oh, listen, this was a bad question for three parents. Like, we're like, films? What? Yeah, no, no, seriously. 
last piece of trashy thing I saw on the internet? Uh, I can give you a thousand answers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, um, uh, people well, falling last, down and film, laughing at them. Murph, the last film we saw was aside from like all the Disney princess crap that our children make us watch. It was I am Moana, Muppets in Space. Oh yeah, yeah, we we went yeah. to the, the Bruin View in Asheville, Muppets in Space. Quick plug for the Bruin View. Um, nice, <laughs> great place. Great yeah. place. Yeah, I still kind of smelly. Still kind of like yeah, a little bit questionable. Yeah, great experience. You know what this town this town needs for those who are entrepreneurs out there who want to do this. We need a drive-in. We I do. agree. We used to have one. Do you remember? Yeah. Back in the day. It Talking was on the like one that where the Lowe's is now. Where Lowe's is. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. We need a new drive-in. Someone out there with money. Yeah. My, my mom used us to. drive in. My yeah. mom and my brother used to sneak in. They would get in the trunk and my dad would drive in. It's, it's very, it's, it's very <laughs> common. Your dad also keeps a fork in the sugar bowl. It's true. He was like, oh, I'm only paying for one, guys. Yeah, um, so many questions. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, okay. So I, I've, I've spent 15 minutes thinking about this, so now I can answer. Um, okay. So movie that i've seen recently that i feel like you know i was like purposely trying to see and it was interesting was a uh, problemista oh i haven't even heard of that one real good okay it's an a24 film cool um blanking who directed it but younger person who also stars in it um and very good if a film was made of your life who would you want to direct it uh i don't think that i should have this honor but tim burton yeah, Stanley Ooh, Kubrick. I, I would like Stanley Kubrick to come back from the dead. <laughs> I mean, and direct. That's my, pretty <laughs> legit. Yeah, actually, yeah, Stanley. Stanley would be good if you're like trying to make each of us, well, at least me, look like way cooler. Wake Waltz. Yeah, than what I actually am. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll, you know, Oliver Stone yeah. would do a good job. If you weren't a filmmaker, what would you be? I think I would be some sort of like stripper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I would be. <laughs> What's the place called in Nashville? <laughs> Trophy Club. Yeah, that's where I'd be. I have no idea. Every day. <laughs> uh, no, I I think if I wasn't a filmmaker, I would be like an engineer or like a architect or something. Yeah. I feel like I could just go deep. On yeah, the, like, yeah. Nerd. My, my, that's what my dad is, so I just feel like I have that like... Logical brain. Have that there. Or yeah. I would just like work at a bike shop. Oh, yeah. I feel like right. that would be like a really pleasant life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. tough but pleasant yeah totally um i'd be a fireman if i wasn't an actor i'd be a fireman or like a cop yeah edge, of, de- like. edge of death situation <laughs> yeah i mean like because you think of acting like a lot of people like most people generally speaking would rather die than like be in front of an audience i mean that's yeah. a fact that's statistical yeah. like that like it's a bigger fear so like the only thing that i could compare that to would be like rushing into the fire Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the high adrenaline mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, that's but saving lives, man. Saving lives. Who doesn't want to be a hero? I got a hero complex. You do. You need to be a volunteer firefighter. I'm 50. <laughs> yeah, right. Dude, that's yeah. legit. I mean, you could still sign up. They do the cruise out west where they go in for oh, like wildfires. Yeah. yeah. You can still live this dream. I want mm-hmm. this dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I can do this. What's the best way for people to find you? Yeah. If people wanted Great to find question. you or hire you or work with you. The best way is just to find me in person. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, usually uh, at Dynamite Coffee. Old school. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, uh, letters. He's known to spend three hours at Dynamite Coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. This is sad, but true. Um, yeah, I, I think my dated website, which is uh, adamhobbs.tv, 
is probably a good way. Yeah, and Adam Hobbs, you're probably on IMDb too. Yeah, can find your work on IMDb. Yes. It, yep. Yeah, I was just cool. gonna say IMDb, and your current thing you're working on is Chasing Butterflies. Is it available yet? We we yes, I will. Uh, we'll make that somehow viewable. But yeah, it's actually finished. It went did the festival circuit. We have like one last remaining fun fest in Carborough that I'm just gonna visit. Cool. But, um, Gay Chorus Deep South is on Paramount Plus. Yep, but they're all watchable. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> yeah. us for this episode of Head in a Box. I'm your host Murphy. Thank you so much for joining us, Adam. And we'll oh, see yeah. you. We'll see you next week on. Not, next, not week. next week. I won't be here. I won't be here. <laughs> Who's our next guest? Do you, can you know? Do you know? Um, Martin Scorsese. Next <laughs> week. Next week, Scorsese. We'll have Scorsese, Pacino, and De Niro right here in the Actors Center. So listen uh, up. Don't miss it. Thank you for joining us in Head in a Box. I could just feel that good.